0: Welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Searcy Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and this being The Mason Jar, I am joined by the star of The Mason Jar, uh, Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? Welcome back to your own show.
1: Thank you. It's been a while.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: Uh, We've had some uh, life. Life has happened, but we're going to try to be more faithful here.
0: Yeah, so we've been talking about this, and I think... You know, For everyone listening, what we're going to do is we're going to try to bring you some kind of Mason Jar content every week. In the past, what we have done is we have done an interview episode towards the end of every month and somewhere in the middle of the month, we've tried to do a Q&A episode where we answer your questions. But we're going to try to get an episode out every week where we discuss um, at least some piece of content related to uh, Charlotte Mason, to homeschooling, to being a mom, um, to classical education, something related to one of those topics. Um, and often they're going to be based on questions that you or I are receiving. Um, and sometimes we'll sprinkle in interviews the same way we have been. But we want to try to get you some kind of piece of you know, mason jar content every week. Sometimes that might mean that the episodes will be a little shorter than what you're used to. Um, and sometimes they'll be you know, more consistent with what you've been getting in the past. But we figured um, this way, it's a little bit more of a manageable approach to getting you to getting the listeners mason jar content every week, um, so we'll see how it goes. We can't promise it'll be every single week. You know, holidays will come up, people's children will have events going on, or there'll be some some event that Cindy's speaking at, or I'm going to, or something that makes it a little bit difficult. But our goal is to do almost every week is to give you some kind of some kind of uh, mason jar, Charlotte Mason themed content. So that's the goal. You think we can do it? I think we can do it.
1: I think so. We'll see. We're, we're going we're gonna to give it our best shot here.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and Quickly, um, we're going to talk in a second about uh, poetry and poetry anthologies and sources of poems and some of your favorites, uh, your favorite resources for doing that. But before we dive all the way into that, I need to say a quick word from our friends over at the Institute for Excellence in Writing. Um, Andrew Pudowai is a good friend of both of ours, I think. And IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials to aid them in training their students to become better listeners, speakers, readers, writers and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their lifetime 100% money back guarantee, head over to IEW.com slash start. And again, that's IEW.com slash start. IEW makes some great resources um, for students of all sorts of ages and stages in terms of, um, in terms of the, writing, uh, the writing life, I suppose, the writing process. So if you are in the market for something like that, then you can um, head over to IEW.com slash start. My uh, my son just walked into the studio. What's up?
1: Hey, welcome to the Mason Jar.
0: <laughs> what did you draw? Oh, thank. you. Oh, it's a pen. Is it a? Is it like a fountain pen?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is your business suit, son. It it's. It
0: like. is. He actually, yeah, he came in. He's wearing. <laughs> he came into the office with me today, and he's wearing. A vest and a tie and a button-down shirt. So.
1: Oh boy, and he's drawing fountain pens. Wow.
0: Yeah, he's drawing fountain pens. It's. A, it's a I have nice a fountain, fountain.
1: pen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you gonna sit in here with me? Okay, you gotta try not to be too loud. Okay. Here's here's take like, here's a pen.
1: Well, he just draws pictures when he wants to show you what he wants. He wants a he wants a pen. He
0: should. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought about that before, but uh, he was he's doing. Do you um do you guys do you know the draw right now?
1: Yeah, we used to use that. Yes, yeah,
0: so he, he's been doing his draw right now stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's talk poetry anthologies. Um,
1: okay.
0: We got a question from someone asking whether you have a favorite poetry anthology or source of poems. And this questioner had mentioned that she's got some great books of um, really short young children's poems, but she finds herself completely overwhelmed when she starts trying to look at books of longer poems or poems designed for older children. I think that's probably pretty common. Experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: you would, Did you find that it was easier to work through or discover anthologies for younger um,
1: children? Yeah, I mean, there poems? are a lot of anthologies for younger children. I mean, every really good, great illustrator almost has come out with, you know, lots of those really beautiful children's anthologies. Mm. And some of those... Go up, you know, can take you a little way through middle school. Uh, Tasha Tudor has some. I have, I have some great, you know. I always talk about the Childcraft um, um, poems of early childhood, um, Volume One. I, um, I, I love. That for if you know, I know the question isn't about early childhood, but um, that is that is one of my favorites. So yeah, there are a lot more. There there's actually more poetry books for older children or older humans um, than there are for children than there are for children. But um, but we don't see them as much, and they're not in as. Prominent. I mean, if you go real old, uh, the, 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 the primo poetry volume um, for English is, of course, the Oxford Book of English Verse. Um, and that is the, um, the edition you want to get on that is any edition that is edited by um, um, Arthur Quiller Cooch. I'd like to say Couch. And that's how it's spelled, but um apparently his name is Quiller Cooch. <laughs> or that's a mouthful. It, yeah, or to make it simpler, just call him Q. <laughs> and um and, and for those of you who have read my stuff and know how much I like Helene Hant, who wrote the um the Charing Cross book, and, and she has oh, yeah, yeah. she has a whole book on Q called Q's Legacy. And, and, and- so
0: this is that's an anthology for for older though, right? Not, yeah,
1: this is okay. an adult Oxford Book of English Verse. It's just a, the classic English literature book of poetry. Okay. So, I, any if you start in the beginning, it's going to have poems from the early, the earliest. Um, you know time period until by the end of the book now this book I have is in the early 1900s because that's when Cooch lived Quiller Cooch lived and let's just go on and call him Q so it ends at um, a houseman Francis Thompson. It doesn't have um, Blackmore. It doesn't go Mm. on towards um, you know. I don't even think it has any T.S. Eliot or anything like that. Okay. Okay. So, but you don't. You really want to stick with this version of that particular book to get a huge. If you want to get an overview of English literature poems that have gone, uh, have been the staples of English literature um, up until uh, now. If my my other favorite anthology. which is really the one I use the most is the classic hundred poems by um, the editors, William Harmon. I absolutely adore this book. It it takes all those poems out of the Oxford book of English verse that you, this huge massive anthology and it, and it brings it down to the hundred most anthologized poems um, in English literature. And it starts with the very, very early English uh, time period with Sir Sir Patrick Spence, which is an awesome poem. And it ends with the um, pretty, I'm trying to think, it ends with a very sad poem on...
0: Well, every anthology should end with a very sad note. Yes, it
1: should. It, that should refi- just be a
0: principle of anthology making.
1: Well, how <laughs> sad hating. is this? It ends with D- Dylan Thomas, a refusal to mourn the death by fire of a child in London. Mm. So, doesn't get much sadder than that. <laughs> no kidding. But... So- um, yeah so that's an excellent th- this that anthology gives you a little a little tiny lessons along with the poem that, that even just for a mom can can like alert her to what's going on sometimes.
0: But By lessons, do you mean lessons kind of about the the origin of the poem, or lessons about the poem, like like more? Yeah,
1: both. He he tells when it's published, um, and then he he might give some interesting notes. Like if it's in many poems are written as a response to another poem, and so he he hmm. he you know he alerts you to that sort of thing, or to some other poems that might be similar or come from that same. Uh, uh, you know genre or idea Mm -hmm. and then at the very end he might tell you what to listen for and uh, these are just short two one or two paragraph things and -hmm. then at the very end he'll tell you what the form of the poem is um for this poem the solitary reaper he says it's an eight-line stanza rhyming either a b c b d d e e or A B A B C C D D with um um to trameter. I don't know how to say those words with the proper emphasis and, <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. But, and, um, you know, um, I think people he
0: say them, you, I've heard various people say them in various ways, so I wouldn't worry too much about yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like Greek. You just, you know, hopefully you pronounce the right syllable, you know, give the emphasis on the right syllable. But <laughs> but anyway, yeah. it kind of alerts you to what's going on in the poem. I love the when he tells you what the form is because um, that can, over time, you start to see patterns and, and mm. that's very helpful. Mm.
0: Okay, so I guess my follow-up question then is, so you have these anthologies you've... Gone on Amazon, or found them at your used bookstore, or wherever you got them. You've got them on your shelf, but now you've actually got to figure out what does that look like for how I use them with my kids. So your kids are probably past the, the early childhood poems, and you know they're starting to read, you know, the Tennysons, the Longfellows, the Wordsworths, the Keats, the Yeats, the Dylan Thomases. And how did you go about actually employing those in your schooling? Were you letting them choose? what they wanted to read, trying to kind of let them carve out the poetry, you know, their own taste, um, you know, maybe out of a certain set of parameters that you've created, you've kind of curated. Or are you, you know, these books are very long. There's hundreds of poems. So are you curating very specific ones? Were there? How did you go about, what was your strategy for using them? I well, guess?
1: I, with the classic hundred poems, since it's only a hundred, I would just read one poem a day out of that and discuss okay. it with okay. the, the kids. So it's, it's very, um, so in a hundred days of school, you, and that might take you, it may take you the whole school year because maybe someday, you know, you, you had a dentist appointment or, you know, you just didn't have poetry that day. Um, but I would just read a poem a day out of something. Um, mm, yeah. If you want, you can go straight through a book like this. Um, uh, William Harmon also has the classic 500 poems, so if you wanted something a little more meaty, um, there is uh, the book um, by Laura Burquist, The Harp and the Laurel Wreath. Yeah, which that was going
0: to be the one that I mentioned.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's a great, I mean, that's perfect for this sort of thing. Um, and because that's also great for most of those poems are poems you might want to memorize. So um, yeah. So that that's beyond just reading the poems. Um, the classic hundred poems, you can find poems to memorize in here easily. There's lots of there's several Shakespeare sonnets and there's mm-hmm. all kinds mm-hmm. of um, poetry. But um, these might just also be poems you want to read. Um, and, and I think there are poems that we're going to read, and there are poems that we're going to memorize. How
0: it's, do you determine the difference between those two for your it, or how did you? For me, it?
1: if I wanted to, if I wanted the kids to memorize it for whatever reason, we memorized it. It's just, um,
0: just whatever, we, what, you know, it tickles your fancy. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah.
1: If I found a poem that I really liked and, um, and, and that goes back and forth too, because like last year, um, I had poems that my student was memorizing and then his dad had a poem that he had found that he wanted him to memorize. And so he really responded well to that. Oh, he really hmm. wanted to get that poem right for his dad.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And he did such a great job on that, and he he put a lot of heart and soul into just – instead of just memorizing it and saying it, he actually, you know, added some kind of acting along with Mm. it, and it went really well. So – and then, you know, the older students are doing – like when I was when I was working with my high school kids, they were always doing um, George Grant's Kings Meadow curriculum. Mm-hmm. So we did that almost exclusively through all um, our high school years. And he always has a poem to be memorized each, say, three terms or every eight weeks, maybe. Maybe there's four terms, um, and, and and usually those are some pretty. Um, difficult he has some Milton and and something so for those when I was using that I would just do what he told me to do (laughs) when George George knows a lot about poetry and he has a vast uh, he has memorized vast portions of poetry so um he he had some selections that maybe I wouldn't have thought of or found in my books and I just trusted him on that Mm. Uh, so how many
0: okay so I've two two questions, two follow-up questions. One is you mentioned that you would, you know, say the the William Harmon collection, the 100 essential poems or I think that was what it was called. So you would read one of those a day and then discuss them. So briefly in, you know, just a minute here, how what did that look like when you when you would you gather just it was a kind of part of morning time, if you would read the poem as part of morning time and then you'd discuss it. And what did that discussion look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it didn't look like anything. I would just read the poem. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And um And I would just, I just made sure that they were hearing some poem every day. Mm. Um, Hopefully Mm. we were always memorizing a poem also. Mm. So there, there could be a possibility of three poems. If you review an old poem that you've already memorized and you are reading the same poem every day for, say, three or four weeks because you're memorizing it. And then you're also just reading a poem for the sheer you know, joy of poetry, um, and not your, I, I didn't want to, I didn't, I tried not to, um, kill that. I, that's one reason I like the, um, the classic Hunter poems because I could read through the information and just pass that along, or we could talk about the rhyme scheme or, or not. Um, if it had a really interesting rhyme scheme, we could say, what do you think, you know, that, what, what was that? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the curfew tolls the knell of parting day, the lowing herd wind o- slowly over the lea; the plowman homeward plows his weary, plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when you get to these, that's the elegy written in a country churchyard by Thomas Gray. Sometimes when you get to a poem like that, um, it's three or four pages long and it takes quite a, a few minutes to read. Um when you get to the end of that, um, that poem is so well written. Nobody's really scratching their head wondering what in the world did he just say. <laughs> um, everybody knows. So Ezra Pound. Yeah. No. The, yeah. That's right. Um, so. So. Um, but if you get to something that's inexplicable, you can either read it again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or. You can talk about it if, if you want to, or you can just leave it because mm-hmm. yeah. the thing about it is when you, when the brain grabs onto something inexplicable, it begins to work mm. and um, you can steal that work from the child and, and, and every, every inexplicable thing will not be inexplicable to every child because some of them aren't even listening while you're reading, <laughs> but but. They're yeah, I guess
0: you never know on. what they what they hear. Yeah,
1: yeah, you don't know who's going to but but I know for a fact in my own mind I will read a poem and I maybe I don't even realize I don't understand it. And then mm. maybe like 3 weeks later, my brain tells me what that meant. Mm. Uh, you know, it comes back and says, "Oh, yeah, I get that now." And you didn't even know that your brain was um, working on that, Um, but it did. It was. I mean, I know that this (laughs) happens.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that it's worth remembering is that all of our minds, even when we're young, kind of are searching for sort of a harmony, right? So we hear something in great literature, we see something in great art or whatever. Our minds are constantly trying to if we're confused by it or it's creating some kind of disharmony, we're trying to, our, our minds are kind of naturally trying to harmonize what we've heard. And so it's kind of, it's going to be at work. Um, and great works that have sort of a harmony within them are great because they naturally allow us to sort of chew on, chew on, you know, the right sorts of things. So after a while, even if we don't realize that we're going to get something out of it. Um, and you know, and again, you never know what young kids are hearing and what it's meaning to them. And it might not mean anything for a long time, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Did you, yeah.
0: Did your, did you find that your kids were generally pretty responsive to poetry?
1: They were. I, I, I found that they were. Some, some of them were not. But for the most part, um, I found that they, um, all of them grew up to be, to find pleasure and meaning in poetry. At least, you know, I don't know how many. To some others. degree, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them. My for, older two boys would write quite, and my third son wrote poetry. My fourth son, um, they they wrote their own poetry. And my one, my one son Nicholas wrote a beautiful poem, and I cannot find it anywhere. And mm. um, I'm really upset about that. But um, yeah, that's the I've worst. Looked, I know. I've looked on all these old computer files and just cannot find this poem. And um,
0: maybe he's hiding it from you.
1: Yeah, he could be. He he probably is afraid that I'll you know make share a, it on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There she goes. Um, but he, but but they they did relate well to poetry, and they never as manly as most of them are. All of them really. Um, I don't want anybody to go. Which of us is not manly? <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're all manly. Um, they they all they never ever came across feeling that poetry was something, you know, feminine or or yeah, or yeah. silly or, or or not or not are shallow.
0: Yeah, they saw some value in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean they,
0: the didn't really? they didn't all love Shakespeare.
1: They didn't all love Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare and, and hardly any of them just like Shakespeare at all. But um they do love poetry.
0: Do you think that is that their appreciation for it is because you started young?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think they heard um, so much poetry, and 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 I tried to. I mean, some of the some poetry that we we read did not um, reach you know great levels. Uh, I used that book of my grandmother's, which I've spoken of frequently, which was 101 famous poems. But there's some excellent poetry in that book. There's some you know just mediocre poetry in there. But they related well to those poems. And I think that really helped them. I mean, we've talked about Opportunity before by um, Edward Sill. And um, when they got to stuff like that, um, it felt, I guess, mainly to them at a young age. that.
0: Yeah, this, um, uh, the Charge of the Light Brigade poem. And- yes,
1: the Charge of the Light Brigade. What boy doesn't like to memorize that? <laughs> or girl. What girl doesn't yeah. like to memorize that?
0: Yeah, and I th- you know... Um, there's something about really good poetry too the way it's the way good poetry has structure and there's a form to it that even if you don't understand the line the practice of well the experience of hearing and the practice of memorizing um, those structures and forms like can bring harmony sort of by themselves even if they don't understand some deep concept that's buried in the poem the language itself is still uh, meaningful and beautiful and can can be sort of harmonizing in and of itself. And that's really valuable, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. Just just the feel of it, even if you don't even know what it's saying is often... And that's where, like, you think of Lewis Carroll. Um, yeah, we, some of this doesn't make a bit of sense, you know. Was, <laughs> yeah. what brillig of the whatever, uh, you know, it, it's just... But it's those coming. those actually work their way into into your vocabulary so that you know when you're trying to say something that doesn't make any sense you might you might refer back to some of that nonsense verse and oh, it might, yeah, um, yeah. actually embody some of the actual feelings you feel in your real life as you go mm. along and mm. I think poetry has a unique way of connect making connect teaching us teaching us how our brains make connections because basically all poetry is taking making a connection from one thing to another and mm-hmm. and and it's such a powerful tool um, Charlotte Mason says that all, um, edu- you know, education is the science of relations. Well, poetry in itself is the science of relations. It's hmm. always relating one thing to another. Sometimes we have to grasp really hard to figure out. Sometimes it's super easy. You know, in some small poems, we know. Oh, um, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You know, well, that's not even a child's poem, but. Yeah, we know what's being compared right there. He tells us right away he's going to compare the person he loves to a summer's day. Um, but then he makes all these comparisons that maybe we wouldn't make. He doesn't just say, you know, the, the typical, oh, you know, your eyes or your lips or your, you know, he, he, he compares them to things that we don't maybe that are unexpected. And so, and so we grasp after that to try to figure out, well, you know, what is he saying? How is this, how is this comparison um, working? Hmm. Um, and, and, that,
0: and even even formally too, is the, you know, yeah. e- even each line is a comparison to another line or, a, or it, you know, it, it only works because of its relationship to the previous line. I mean, even like blank verse, right. that's what it's about, right? I mean, the, the point is the way the lines work together and create a whole. Wendell Berry in his book on William Carlos Williams poetry talks about how the difference between poetry and verse, um, I mean, between poetry or verse and um, prose is the new line. Like in theory, prose could just go on forever in one line, right? If it weren't for the limitations of the page. Yes. But poetry, you're you're making a specific choice to start a new line and and it's about the relationships between the lines and the sounds within the lines. So there's Mm -hmm. a science of relations again right there, even just in the formal structural elements of poetry.
1: Right, right. Yes, yes, definitely. So... Um, it 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 just carries with it so much that is beyond um, beyond. I mean, on one hand, it's it's very simple. You know, you have child children's poetry. We, it also creates that that culture, of a common culture. Uh, nursery rhymes yeah, are very good yeah. at at creating a common culture. And then, of course, it it moves on to metaphor, and then these deeper, like you're saying, it's saying something in a limited form. Um, and, and yet, it, that could become so much more powerful than, than just the um, you know just just outright say something.
0: Yeah, yeah, just a blanket statement. Okay, let's summarize here. Let's let's wrap this episode up here. Um, so, some in terms of your favorite anthologies, we've you have mentioned um, the Oxford Oxford Book of English Verse uh, edited by Sir Arthur quiller cooch and you said that that I looked on Amazon while we were talking, and it looks like there's a version that's like. 1218 or something to 1918. So, those 700 years of poetry, or 1250 to 1918. That one's available on Amazon. Yeah. Then the classic 100 poems, edited by William Harmon. Right. And then you also mentioned um, the harp and uh, the harp and laurel wreath uh, by Laura Burquist, which is a right. great one. We actually carry that one in our store. Oh, yeah. That's that. excellent. Um, so yeah, all right, so those are great resources. We will put those in the uh, the show notes as well for people with some links to Amazon or the different various places people can get those
1: um i don 't i I recently talked about this just not to, not to interrupt you're trying to close oh, out the show you. here
0: Car- <laughs> but, carry on
1: um, I recently mentioned this in one of my talks, but if you haven 't heard that um, when I was the other my my brother wanted to watch a movie he was at our house last spring. And we watched the movie "The Darkest Hour," about Winston yeah, Churchill. With Churchill yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, I, I it really, really captured. Um, what was going on at Dunkirk because I, from what I've heard, I haven't even been able to watch the movie Dunkirk because um, it's really hard to mess up such a beautiful, beautiful um, period of history. But apparently they were able to do that in the actual movie. Dunkirk. <laughs> but in the darkest hour, uh, Churchill is trying to make, uh, he gets this idea. He's trying to make a decision. How, um, and he's never, but he doesn't really know the common people. He's never really been, um, out amongst the real world you know he hasn't gone to the store to buy himself something and so he goes out one day without anybody with him and he ends up on the underground and he's he's as he's on the underground um he's listening to what all the people are saying and he's and they're trying to help him and and, I don't know how to explain it because I haven't seen the movie in a while and I forget the thing. But suddenly in the midst of all these people trying to say something, they start to, somebody on this bus, these ordinary working class people starts to quote the poem, um, Horatius at the Bridge. And, and suddenly everybody on the whole, in the whole car is quoting this poem along with, um, um, along with Churchill and it just captures everything about um, why English literature is so powerful and why um, why the English people are always so inspiring when it comes to these, you, these hard things in life, that stiff upper lip and um, the heart behind all that goes into making um, English literature so different from so many other forms of literature. Um, that I just I, I just thought it was a very powerful scene and it, it really describes um, how poetry affects not just the elite um, person who who studies literature in college um, but but just the everyday man and how important it is to their life to be inspired. And and that movie just did such a great job of of capturing that, that I hope, I hope not only it's a great movie about Churchill, it's a great movie about Dunkirk, even though it ends at Dunkirk. And it's a great movie about the power of poetry in the lives of our children.
0: Hmm. Well, you talk in your book about how one of your, one or more than one of your sons, had poetry come to mind when they were what in military in basic training or in training for different things that they were doing for the military oh, yes
1: all the time all the time they um did um um they um two of my sons ran a marathon and they when they would train they would they would see who could go you know you say a poem i say a poem you say a bible verse i just see how long they could go just saying things that they'd memorized huh. and, and that's how they got through the marathon. And, um, and that's how they've gotten through lots of their training. Um, my son, Timothy, you know, he always, um, uses that when, when, especially when he was in really, really hard training, it always came back to the things that he had memorized that got him through that took his mind out of, you know, the fact that he's carrying, you know, a 50 pound pack and he's, Hmm. he's, you know, climbing uphill. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then he you know one um dawn duran mentioned the other day she she thought he said the poem um ca- uh um crossing the bar when he was actually crossing like the that that the international timeline or whatever that is but um he had been really really discouraged at one point and um you know that poem he's out on the deck of a of a navy navy ship and he he's that poem is is what you know came to him and what mm. what got him through that really hard time. Mm. So the, it's not um, whenever I hear someone say they dislike poetry, I'm so sad <laughs> yeah. because, or when uh, they say it's impractical. Yes, or 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 that you know, it's a side thing. It really isn't a side thing. It is really, really, really right up there with some of the most foundational things we do in our homes mm. with our children. They're really, besides Bible reading, it it has to be number two, <laughs> mm. besides the the, the, the um, in my mind. Um, mm. So I would and even your put show. In, yeah, it's this is my opinion. So, so if you don't like poetry, um, it's just like someone who says they don't like Shakespeare. Well, I can tell you this: there's nothing wrong with Shakespeare. <laughs> um, if you don't like poetry, just recognize it as a as a weakness in you, and and a weakness that that you can overcome by by getting familiar with poetry. And you don't have to start with la di poems that don't make any sense, that you don't understand. It's all right to start with nursery rhymes, even as an adult, um, um, because that, that's kind of like helping us to, to take baby steps towards understanding how uh, how wonderful and deep um, poetry is. But it also yeah. connects us like, to the past. It also tells us what the people who came before us thought was important or how they viewed life and and that's also a part of history uh, that is that is kind of embed embedded in the in the in the dna of poetry so there's so much more that you get out of it when you're studying history if you're studying the poetry at the same time of that period or at least reading the poetry of the same time um you are going to you're going to feel things that you don't even realize about the time period and have a much greater understanding of who these people were um, if you do that. Hmm. So so don't underestimate the value or, that you spend on um, the, of, of reading poetry and, and have, spending time with poems because it, there's hardly anything else you can do that is going to be that, pr- that produce um, um, in, as important. uh, um, I want to say knowledge
0: than um, than poetry. Um, And you know, you mentioned people who maybe feel like they don't love it or don't know where to start. I think two great ways to to learn to like poetry are to experience poetry with young kids because when they memorize and love poetry, it opens the beauty of it up quite a bit. And then also, that's you know to the but going back to the original question, that's the great thing about anthologies. If you don't know where to start, start with an anthology. because yeah, they, yeah. they've taken hundreds of years of poems and curated them for us to to uh to kind of start with. Okay, I I'm, I've got Jeremiah right here. Jeremiah, what is your favorite poem?
1: Um, "Once There Was a Puffin."
0: The Puffin poem? Yeah. Can <laughs> you say can you say that?
1: Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Um, say it.
1: I need those
0: you need the headphones? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Hold> <laughs> he, on.
1: He's a professional.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. What am I thinking? Okay, say hi to Miss Miss Cindy. Hi. Can you say hello?
1: Hi. I want to hear this poem. Once there was a puffin. Oh, Once there was a puffin, just the shape of a muffin, and it lived on an island, and I grew it in the bright blue sea. he he ate little fishes that were most delicious, and he had them for supper, and he had them for tea. But this poor little puffin, he couldn't play nothing. He had he had nobody to play with at all. So he sat on his island and cried for a while. And he felt very really lonely and felt very really small. But along came the fishy, and they said, After you wishes that ha- you could have us for playmates ha- instead of for tea. So they all played together in all sorts of weather. And, and the puffin eats pancakes like you and like me. <laughs> Why
0: do you like that one?
1: Because the <laughs> pancake part.
0: <laughs> the <laughs> pancake yes. part? Well, thank Isn't... you for reciting that for that us.
1: That was excellent. Excellent, <laughs> and i think he has the perfect answer it took something really absurd and and connected it to something he loved pancakes
0: yes that's true and exactly. and
1: and what all and right he, all <laughs> right i love that and i like pancakes too
0: she, she says she likes pancakes too <laughs> um well all right well let's call that a day um let's end with uh let's end with a performance amen uh, Okay, well, thank you to IEW for sponsoring this, uh, this show. They actually have some uh, poetry resources over at IEW. So if you're interested in some what they're, what they're doing, go to IEW.com slash start. And thank you um, to IEW for sponsoring. Thank you to everyone who is a Patreon supporter of the Mason Jar. Um, we have Cindy's... Um, cindy's readings and commentary on charlotte mason's uh books uh going up there as bonus episodes those are shorter 5 10 15 minute uh, episodes so you can uh, continue to check those out over there and if you have not become a patreon supporter of the mason jar you can go to uh, cl- uh, patreon.com slash mason jar uh, to learn more about that all right cindy thank you this has been a great episode thanks for your uh, your thoughts and your um your expertise on poetry and we will be uh back with another episode soon.
1: Goodbye.